Let's turn back to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, our foundation text for the series on the church covenant that we're covering. We'll also read a few verses at the end of the chapter to complement the first verse. Acts 2, 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And down to verse 42 toward the end chapter, and I want to... Uh, kind of read this now like we did last Sunday because if you're with one accord in one place in that type of unity you can expect good things to happen so this is the effect they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers fear came upon every soul many wonders and signs were done by the apostles all that believed were together and had all things common sold the possessions and goods parted them to all as every man hath need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the one is a foundation for the other in that regard. <clears throat> well, we're looking at the church covenant. We're in the second paragraph and uh, looking at they what we're to do we see in the first paragraph as stated before how we got here now we're looking at what we're to do and of course that foundation again i will always emphasize this that walking in love is most important because it makes everything else possible and otherwise it is impossible in that respect so we're looking at the other four twos in that regard and we've actually already looked at three of them and now we're going to look at the fourth one which begins with to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry to the expenses of the church this is to the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel so let's just begin as it begins with to contribute. And the word contribute is not in the Bible, but the word contribution is, and that is actually in Romans chapter 15 and verse 26. So we look at that usage for our definition, and it speaks there how that Paul is going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints there in verse 25, and he mentions the contribution that the saints of Macedonia and Achaia have made. Verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And we covered that pretty extensively in 2 Corinthians, also 1 Corinthians, about basically this is what in modern day terms we would call a love offering. For the saints at Jerusalem uh, they were struggling over there and uh, these other churches of the New Testament that Paul had been instrumental in in uh, founding so to speak he was the instrument were concerned about those individuals and so they had taken up a contribution or a love offering and Paul and some other reputable men were going to bear that to those saints I'll just mention the amazing thing about that is they didn't know one another. <laughs> uh, 
The only link was the Apostle Paul and the truth that they believed concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And what makes that even more amazing would be that the saints in Judea for the most part would have been Jews and the people that are sending this are basically Gentile churches. And uh, so again, if you'd ever suffered as a Gentile by being treated like the scourge of the earth of the Jews, you might be hesitant to do anything for a Jew, but we shows us how that in true conversion and a love for Christ, those barriers come down and you can help someone that you don't even know without any prejudice whatsoever. So this is quite amazing. But there is our word contribution. And so as we said, obviously this is a love offering to help out those who were in need. The word itself is interesting as I looked it up because the word here for contribution is not a unique and distinct and only used one time in the New Testament word for contribution. It is the common word for fellowship. Fellowship. And in this case, it is translated contribution. But it carries the idea that in a fellowship, there is joint participation, right? I mean, if we have fellowship one with another, however many another of us there are, it is a joint participation. So the contribution here was a joint participation by several churches of Macedonia and Achaia, which is northern and southern Greece. So, we like that definition, that it is a fellowship or joint participation. And we're familiar with that word, what it means to contribute to something. And there are several, th several things we want to remind you of, of what a contribution is. If someone puts a gun to your head and demands all your money, they're not asking for a contribution, are they? No, they're stealing. They're taking what is not rightfully theirs at gunpoint and by force. So you are not making a contribution when you give them your wallet or your purse or your billfold, are you? No, in that sense, we draw that analogy that a contribution is something that you do willingly. You do it willingly, you do it of your own accord, and it is usually, in this case, the church covenant, you're not the only one doing it. It is joint participation by all the members of the church. So, it is willful giving. That's the bottom line minimal definition. Now, it can be many things as we have already covered some of these in that second paragraph of the church covenant that a Christian is a willful giver. We are not naturally givers. Some people excel in that more than others but the bottom line is we're born stingy little kids. Selfish little kids and we're tight-fisted. Uh, we have to be taught otherwise. But the grace of God teaches us beyond that. Beyond what mom and dad and school can teach us or mentors or others, the grace of God teaches us more and better in a short period of time 
And it teaches us what a great giver God was, and it makes us willing to give also. So when we contribute anything to the church or to the cause of Christ or to God, it is a willful giving. Maybe a giving up, or it may be a giving to. And it can be and should be always, first and foremost, ourselves. When God saved you, He made you willing to give yourself as His servant or His slave to please Him in all things, right? So there's where we really start. Don't just think of a contribution as being dollars and cents. That is the context that we're going to be talking about. But before we start giving dollars or making offerings, monetary offerings, we need to realize the importance of giving of ourselves, our heart, our motive, our purpose, our attitude, uh, giving of our time, giving of our energy, our time in Bible study, our time in prayer, whatever it may be, our energy, our labor, if somebody needs help, etc., etc. So there's many ways you contribute before you have to pull out your billfold or your purse, all right? And I always believe that should be put out there first. And then we come to what's being said here, which is a reference to money. Uh, and uh, this contribution, as it was here in the reference we've read, was a monetary contribution. But the bottom line is our monetary contribution should be a willful gift okay that's very important and in conjunction of that we've covered this before here at the church many times before and i'm thankful that i don't have to cover this uh, because we have here at philadelphia baptist church a tithing church at least so far as i know uh, the finances indicate that i don't go over the books and i'm not going over the books i've told you that before i don't get with the church treasurer and check out and see who's giving what and what have you i'm going to preach what the bible says from the pulpit and then it's between you and god and uh, you give as the bible teaches and follows the precepts and be blessed or you deny yourself by not doing what the bible says and uh We'll pray for you on that if you happen to, if that shoe fits. I hope it doesn't. But we are talking about tithing. We're talking about contributing to the church and the things that follow hereafter. And I'm not going to go into detail on that because this sermon is not intended to be about tithing. But tithing is a biblical teaching. A lot of people try to, uh, and I've seen people do this, and even they do do it today, wiggle out of tithing by saying, well, that's Old Testament, and that was the law, and, you know, we're no longer under the law, and etc. But if you will go and look, you will see that tithing was being practiced by God's people before the law and Moses ever came about. Abraham was about 400 years approximately before Moses, and the Bible says that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek in that respect. So this goes way back. We could even go back to the first family where the offerings were brought to God. And uh, although it's not labeled tithing there, you see the practice. So we see Abraham with uh, that pattern of giving tithes 
unto the representative of God then at that time, Melchizedek. And then we see its inclusion in being taught in the law of Moses and throughout the Old Testament to Israel. And then we see similarly that pattern carried on in the New Testament. So again, the tithe is the tenth. And I would say to you that is the bare minimum that God requires. And on our box back here, we don't pass a plate here, but on the box back there, it says tithes and offerings. That's very appropriately. When you pay your tithe, you're not paying an offering. I've always distinguished between the two that the tithe, the tenth, is what God requires. What you give above that is your offering in that respect, okay? Uh, this is kind of like some of the bills you pay, you know, and you owe this much, and they'll ask you, do you want to round it up and help pay somebody else's or something? Well, that little bit that you round up or whatever over what's required is your what? Kind of free will donation or offering. So my prayer is that all of you excel in your offerings because you can't go wrong. And I know your stories personally. Some of you have told me. Uh, we have learned this, have we not? The old saying, you can't outgive God? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and try. Try to outgive Him. Uh, I'll just say you better get a big bucket or a big basket to be able to catch everything that He's given back to you. If you give to God with under the conditions that He says to give in that respect. So, um, Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8 over there. I want to bring to your attention at this point. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17 and 18 says, <clears throat> and uh, we just remind you of this because, uh, well, I'm going to remind you of this, okay? And thou shalt say, he tells Israel, that you face the danger and the potential to say, after God has blessed you, to say in your heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt, excuse me, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware by his fathers as it is this day. It's just a very simple reminder that whatever we have, God has given us. That's the bottom line. None of us have anything we really earned apart from God. Yes, we hold down jobs. Yes, we agree for X amount of dollars per week or hour or whatever. And yes, we work for that. But God brought all that and made it possible. God is the source of every blessing, however it comes. And never should we fall into Satan's trap of being deceived and to think that, well, my hand did it all and I earned it all. And if you want to read about that attitude and the downfall, just read about Daniel chapter 3 and 4, Nebuchadnezzar's confession about that very thing. He, it took him seven years to learn that his hand did not do it, but that God gives wealth, power, all things to all people at his own discretion. So, you know, it's a very small thing for God who gives us all to only require a tenth, isn't it?
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, and we'll press on. I'm not going to say any more about this. The Bible is so clear on it. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now again, that falls in accordance with the Mosaic law, but obviously what is said there was not abrogated or abolished in the New Testament. And if you believe it was, just again, I challenge you to try it and see if this is certainly not true. Uh, it is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous blessing, to understand what the Bible teaches about giving and to be able to do it freely, with the right motive, out of your love for the Lord and not expecting anything in return and you'll be amazed at what you do receive in return because God is faithful in that respect. And I've never heard anybody, any Christian, who followed this precept and had a bad story to tell. <laughs> there aren't any bad stories. Again, it's because God is faithful in that respect. And we're thankful, I'll just say this on a personal, we're thankful that this church seems to have learned that and excels in that regard. I've not always, uh, well, I'll just say, I have seen churches uh, struggle because they had not been taught about giving. How to give, why to give, etc., etc. And uh, those churches struggle. Those churches struggle. And when you get or become part of churches and people where that is taught, you're around a whole different group of people. A whole different group of people. I remember a man one time telling me about, went to a, a meeting somewhere in another state and was around people he'd never met before. And, uh, you know, everybody in some sense was a stranger in the flesh, although not in the spirit. And... Uh, said he was never so impressed with such uh, big-hearted, giving people. And some guy he didn't even know just walked up to him before he was all over with and gave him a $100 bill and said, maybe this will help smooth out the bumps on the way home. Never met that person before in life. But, you know, where that is taught and practiced, it's just such a tremendous blessing. It reciprocates itself so much. Well... Contributing is one thing, tithing, offering, as we should do. The covenant says that we are to contribute in two ways or with two conditions. How do we do this? First is cheerfully. Cheerfully. We've already talked about willingly. But before we're talking about giving money cheerfully, let's just establish the fact that being cheerful or joyous should be the characteristic of every Christian, whether we're talking about money or not. I mean, if the Lord is your Savior, why are you unhappy? I mean, what, what has upset your apple cart? Amen. The Lord is on the throne. The Lord is immutable. The Lord has saved you. His grace and mercy is new each and every day. You're loved with an everlasting love. You have His Spirit within you. One day He's coming for you, and I could go on and on. Why do we get unhappy? We are to what? In everything, rejoice. And if something's going on you can't rejoice in, at the moment, just fall back on the stuff that I just mentioned that you can rejoice in. And then you'll probably find yourself rejoicing in whatever it was you couldn't rejoice in. 
I say that by experience. <laughs> it works. It works. Because usually when we start counting our blessings, as the song says, then we're reminded that, well, also it says all things work together for my good. I don't understand why this is happening now, and I don't like it, but some way, somehow, it's that bitter herb that the Lord has put in the mixture that's going to make everything turn out all right in the end. And so again, let it be our characteristic as God's people to be joyful. Uh, again, I could go on to this, but you know it is so sad to be around or see people that are unhappy, isn't it? And I mean, I want people, to, and I'm saying happy here again, you know what I'm really talking about is joy. And I'll, I'll, in case nobody's heard me and I don't know where all this message goes, let me make that distinction again. Will you bear with me, please? Uh, you're happy over temporary circumstances and things. That's what happiness is. Most people live their lives seeking happiness and it's like a revolving door or like the weather. It comes and it goes because it's all dependent upon things that are constantly changing. You, others, circumstances, everything. A Christian has joy. We've went, we've stepped beyond happy. Christ gives his people joy. It's something that he puts within you when the Holy Spirit is there because it is the fruit of the Spirit. You can be joyous even when you are circumstantially unhappy. It is a spiritual thing. It is an inward thing. And outward things cannot remove it. I have often said, and I stand by it, you have to forfeit your joy because nothing can take it from you. If you want to give it up, give it up. You know, to the circumstances of your life. You can't get rid of it if you have the Holy Spirit. But you can diminish it and forfeit it and forfeit its blessings. So as Christians, we are to be joyous, and we are to give. Yes, give tithes and offerings cheerfully and joyously. What do I mean by that? The word here for cheerful actually means joyous and prompt to do anything. I mean, not hesitantly, but willingly, again, and promptly in that regard. Seeing it as a blessing rather than a demand. Not a have to, but a want to in that respect. That's what we're talking about. The Bible says, Jesus said, and if we contemplate this, I don't think any of us will have any problem giving cheerfully to the church. Freely ye have received, freely give. And let me tell you, what we freely received is a lot more than we can freely ever pay back. Amen. And so when we just think of those words and the words of our Lord, that God gave the greatest gift, the unspeakable gift of Jesus, nothing can match that. Whatever we can give in time, effort, service, sacrifice, or even our monetary contributions to the church should be given freely and cheerfully, and we just thank God that we can participate in that. Uh, this is clearly set for 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You'll read that with me, or I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This I say, he which, and let me uh, qualify this as I read here. Uh, this chapter 
Paul is referencing the same contribution to the saints that we read about at the beginning in Romans 15, 26, okay? So this is the same contribution. So at verse 6 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, he which soweth bountifully shall also reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Many things we've already said are displayed in that verse. And I want to show you specifically that, again, cheerfully is in the Bible. Okay, so I told you this church covenant was taken from the Bible or we wouldn't have it. And indeed, it is based upon it. The premise is there in verse 6. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. You're not going to harvest on 10 acres what you're going to harvest on 40. No way, even in an abundant year. And so here he's saying, uh, what you give will be reciprocated according to what and how you give. And again, we're not dealing with other human beings, we're dealing with God. God never fails. He's better than ever bank that there ever has been on this type of contract in that regard. Now, the opposite of cheerfully or joyously is mentioned here grudgingly. And I've seen this, and it's a pitiful thing, a pitiful thing uh, to see people to give. And again, I hesitate to mention where and how and all, but where someone, when the offering plate comes by, just like the hands almost trembling, it just can't let go of that dollar. You know, and if you, you don't see it in the person's hand, but you know it by the person's disposition, you know, and the way they live. That is such a difficult thing. Grudgingly means in sorrow, in pain, in heaviness, and in grief. And it's a word that's used, even translated uh, reflective of people who are in mourning. Oh my. If you can't part with money without feeling all of that, something is bad, bad, wrong on the inside. We know what the Bible says about the love of money. What does it say about the love of the Lord? Oh, God, free us from the love of money and the love of the world and the love of the things of the world. And if our love and affection be upon God, the love of those things will diminish. And those dollars can fly out of our hand rather than being pinched as they depart. I've seen that done. And I'm going to say, it's a bad story. Those people weren't blessed. They're not blessed. And they go, well, I got got it. There's no got it to it. It's wanna. Wanna. It says here, and I want to clear something up in case somebody should be uh, take this wrongly. It's just instructively here. Verse 7, every man according as he purposes in his heart. Some have used this to try to circumvent tithing. Well, the Bible says whatever you purpose, you know, whatever you purpose and purpose. Well, if you're walking with the Lord correctly, you're going to purpose as much as possible. Okay, I mean, you know, but people will use this. Well, I'm I just not able to or I can't or I don't feel like or well, 
that's a serious flaw. You're, you're admitting some serious internal problems if you say that. The word purposes here doesn't have to do so much with making up your mind about how much. The word purposes means literally is translated to bring forth from one's stores. Okay? To bring forth from one's stores. And I like bringing that to your attention because it reminds us we wouldn't have any stores to bring from if God didn't give it to us to put there in the first place. So again, we're not giving of our own, we're giving of what He's given us. If you ever get that in your mind, you won't have any trouble with giving. I mean, again, look at what God has given you and come to the conclusion everything you are and everything you have is a gift from God and you won't have any trouble giving anything back to God. Other than maybe complaining that you don't give, can't give more than what you are giving or something like that. All right? But not grudgingly, purposely, uh, cheerfully with a love for Him. Then it says regularly, the other condition. We are to give cheerfully and regularly. What does this mean? I mean, uh, you know, do what, what, how regular, what regular? Well, I would go back to, I'm going to read it again, but in Deuteronomy 8, we read about there, about the first fruits. Okay? First fruits. And that pretty well sums up what regularly means. Uh, I remember one time a missionary sent a picture and I'd never thought about this before, many, many years ago. He was in a poor, impoverished place on the other side of the world where the people lived and they didn't deal with money. I mean, they were blessed in that regard. Don't get me wrong. They, they were. They didn't have to worry about money. They did like people of old. They bartered. You know, I mean, they raised crops. They raised animals what have you, and their business or economics was an exchange of goods. It didn't involve money. There wasn't no stores where they were at to go buy anything if you had money. Okay? So they were really living in a freedom that we'll never know, even though a lot of people would say they were impoverished. And I remember this missionary sent the picture, and it showed fruits and vegetables and different things that they had brought. That was their tithe. That was their offering. And it matches perfectly what the Old Testament says about first fruits, where money, gold, and silver, you know, was not uh, had or exchanged maybe as much as the bartering of goods was. And so there was those vegetables and things piled up that people had brought. First fruits simply means when the crop comes in, the Lord got the first that was ripened, matured, or harvested. No matter what it was. The first was the Lord's. Well now, you don't have to worry about the regularity of that, do you? The Lord first. It's very simple in that regard. And throughout the Bible, the teaching is the Lord first, not the leftovers. And again, I've seen people who were not taught this truth uh, in my upbringing and so forth and so on who were not taught the blessing of giving in this response and God got the leftovers and the church suffered 
you know. Uh, the pastor would suffer. They suffered in so many ways in that regard. And again, we'll let it responsibility go wherever that, uh, you know, you get in a situation like that, and I've seen this too, where, where it's not taught if the preacher was to preach on it, they'd think he wanted money and they'd kick him out because the teaching was that poor. You know, the preacher started or whatever. It's just sad. It's such a blessing not to have to deal with that. And it's such a blessing to see people understand it and be blessed by it. But first fruits. Also, Paul mentioned the same offering, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And he mentioned here about regularly. And this would be on the day of worship, the Lord's Day. Chapter 16 and 1 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So again, you don't wait till the last minute. You don't wait till the end of the month. You don't wait till the end of the year. Uh, you make this a priority. And I realize we live in a day and time where everybody don't get paid at the same time. You know, we're not splitting hairs here but the bottom line is when we get paid on our jobs it's then and there to be acknowledged that the Lord gets his first you know if you want to put it bluntly that the Lord get I don't want to say that sounds too cheap the Lord gets his cut you know no he gets his off the top and then the rest well I you know and then I've heard so many excuses well I just I just can't live if I tribes you're, you're missing the point you know if you think you're too poor to give it won't fly in the Bible the widow gave two mites and the Lord commended her highly she didn't have a lot to give but she gave rightly correctly right motive and uh, I don't believe that woman starved to death. I don't believe that woman had a hardship. Not according to what the Lord said. The Lord complimented her greatly in that regard. So, again, we just, we just realize when we get paid or income, whatever, whatever the income is, whether it's our job or something else, something money comes from somewhere, that, okay, the Lord gets His. And then the rest is me to budget whatever, etc. So regularly, Lord has the priority. And again, you know, really, if you've been taught this and you know how to give and you know to give cheerfully, if you're giving cheerfully, you won't have no problem with regularly. <laughs> it won't be no problem at all. None whatsoever. It will not be, well, it's such and such day and such and such, whatever, and I got paid and I've got to. No. Just forget the gotta. Okay? If it's cheerfully motivated, it will be easy. It will be desirous. You will want to be disciplined. You will want to be prompt on that regard. And then two. Here's, those are the two hows. Now here are the things too. First of all, it says, and this is where the money goes that's given to the church. First of all, to the support of the ministry. And since I'm in that, I'm just going to be very blunt because we've covered this before and I don't think you're going to take it the wrong way. This means paying the preacher. It's as simple as that. It's a New Testament principle. It's an Old Testament principle. Uh, 
It's very, very simple. We'll just read it, read some scripture on it very quickly. And again, I'm just reminding you because I know you know this. 1 Corinthians again, chapter 9. And I don't think I'm going to read all of this. I'll point out some things. Really, it's the first 14 verses here that covers all this comprehensively. Um, we'll just go down to the quote. Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth, not, doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes no doubt this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. He that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? Uh, Verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. It's just a very simple precept carried over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Levites did not receive an inheritance in the land. They were the ones that ministered the spiritual things of the Lord, and they lived of the offerings and things that the people brought same principle carried over. So uh, again, support of the ministry is simply paying the preacher in that regard. Second thing is expenses of the church. Well, you know a church can't operate without expenses. Uh, the less, the better. But one thing I would say here too is that the church should be debt free. Just like its members. That, that should always be the goal of a Christian, is to be out of debt. The Bible talks about all the problems, afflictions, the bondage of being in debt. How that the debtor is under the control of the lender and so forth. And it's not saying it's a sin to do that. It's just saying you're better off not being in debt. And so society has again, well, it's always been that way. The lenders cornering others into the corner, you know, for that. But again, it's something we willfully do. You know, nobody makes us do it. But nevertheless, do it with the intention to get out of debt ASAP. And you're so much better off. And credit cards have been an affliction of so many because... It causes people to live outside of their means. And uh, economics in the Bible is pretty simple, you know. It's very simple in that regard. So a church should not overload itself with great, big, extensive, expensive things they can't pay for, whatever they may be. And even if they're biblical things, the church, like the members, has to live within its means and be an example to those without. So we seek to live debt-free. The church should be uh, in that regard. And if you pursue that, I think again, as we have experienced, you'll be surprised how blessed you can be uh, in that regard. But the bottom line is the church is to be self-sustaining. Self-sustaining. The church should not solicit money from outside sources. It is the Lord's church. It is the Lord's people that make it up. And it is us who are to be responsible to manage it in a godly way that all things are done decently and in order that we have a proper testimony among those that are without. 
We do not want it to be the hearsay, nor should any church. Well, that church is way up to their eyeballs in debt and blah, blah, and blah, blah. And that be the reputation of the church in the community. No, it should not be. The church should not have checks bouncing all over the place or anything like that. The church should be self-sustaining. We read it there this morning in Acts 2 and verse 45, what people were doing. If sacrifices were needed, they made them in order that they were self-sustaining in that regard. It is such a pitiful, poor testimony to hear of a quote-unquote church trying to raise money. That is pathetic. That is pathetic. And if it happens here, it'll be pathetic. The church is to be supported by those within it. That's the New Testament pattern. That's the Old Testament pattern with the Levites and so forth and so on. And when I hear or see signs about churches having raffles, having auctions, having this, having that, or soliciting this or soliciting that to raise money, I think, how pathetic. How pathetic. I mean, probably they've not been taught what I'm teaching you now. That the church is to sustain itself. What have we to do with those out there? We are to evangelize them, not seek their money. Not put on raffle shows and things like this to bring in money. As responsible Christians, the church should be responsible, pay its bills, live within its means, and whatever that may be, that's up to the Lord. Thirdly, to the relief of the poor. All right. This is a very difficult thing in our time. Very difficult. It has gotten more difficult in my lifetime. I grew up poor, and poor people were easily recognized from wealthy people. With credit cards and everything else, that line is pretty much diminished today. You know, you can't judge a person by what they're wearing or what they're driving or where they may live because it's so easy to go into debt. And when it says to the poor, the Lord said they'd always be poor. We're not going to eradicate the world of the poor no matter if everybody gave everything they had at this very moment to eliminate. We're not going to get rid of the poor. But when it talks about the relief of the poor, I want to distinguish between those who really are poor and those who choose to be poor. And the church must use discretion because this is greatly abused today. And people are not called out and the lines are not clear in the giving to the poor. It is biblical to give to the poor. It's mentioned many times, many places, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, the Bible Again, when we read that scripture at the beginning, Romans 15, 26, the poor saints back in Judea or Jerusalem. Well, if there's any poor to be given to, it should be saints first, first of all. If there's a sister church or, or people like that, uh, someplace, poor saints need help, that would be the first priority, help the people of God. Help those that are poor within the assembly. If there's truly needy, poor people lacking, follow the example of Acts chapter 2 that we read. In Acts chapter 6, we see the uh, ordination of deacons for that purposes when the widows, some of the widows were being neglected. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians about those who are widows indeed. 
That's what I'm talking about when it comes to the poor. That are poor indeed. Not like the freeloaders we see smoking cigarettes, drinking, talking on cell phones, and sitting at Walmart and other places wanting a handout. I, I, I'm not giving to those people. I can't do it with a clear conscience. I'll find somebody else that I can give to in a clear conscience. Because I'm not going to be an enabler, and I'm going to pray that God the Holy Spirit would lead us who to give. We've had people come to this church since I've been pastor, wanting all kinds of money for all kinds of things. We don't give money to nobody. If we don't know them, we don't give money to them. If they need gas, I have went to the gas station and bought them gas. If they need a meal, we have went and offered to buy them food or a meal or whatever like that. Things that cannot be abused, we will do to total strangers. What we're looking for is people who are truly poor and truly in need. And a lot of times those people aren't found in America, they're found somewhere else. I'm happy to say that the experience of this church has been that it's been more poor people in other places we've helped than people here just because of that principle. But we have been privileged on occasion to buy food through missionaries that we support in other places. When crops didn't develop and people were hungry and didn't have nothing, we were able to send money and those missionaries were able to bag, buy burlap bags of rice to feed people. That's what the Bible's talking about. Those that are truly in need, truly poor, or whatever it may be, food, clothing, shelter, uh, maybe an inadequate water supply, wells, all of that. Help those that are truly in need in that regard. Finally, this, to the spread of the gospel through all nations. And obviously we know this because this is the commission. This is the mission of the church, isn't it? to take the gospel into the whole world. And let me say, we need to always realize that before we send that check to the other side of the world, we need to be missionary-minded right here, where we are. We need to have a name here of being evangelical by what we preach, what we teach, how we live, whom we are around. Okay? So, to the spread of the gospel, and we do that. And what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is. I cannot tell you, but I know you know what a blessing it is that to me and to you to send that check to buy Bibles for somebody on the other side of the world. I just, I'll never get over that in this life. I mean, you know, you can't give Bibles away here in the United States or get anybody to read them and to be able to send money to buy them where there is a true need and desire. What a blessing. What a blessing. So whether it is a message going over the airways, audible, or video as we're now able to do, or whether we're sending printed material, or we're sending money to others to do those very same things on another continent and another place, it is putting out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our primary mission. Go ye into all the world. But again, that don't mean stepping over home to go to the next block or the next continent on the other side of the world. We need to be, as the old saying is, home missionaries as well as foreign missionaries. So this message is all about the contribution of money. But again, these are the things the church is to spend money on. And this is how we are to give that money that it may be used in the Lord's service. You know, we should consider ourselves as we close today 
much like a bank. You know, a bank has money in it. It comes from somebody and it goes to others, right? Well, that's what the church is. And the Lord's the one that brings the money in here. Via me, via you, via outside sources, the Lord gives to us that we may thereby give as He leads and has commanded. So, you know, there's a term we use about laundering money, and that's a criminal activity, you know, just running it through somewhere. But that's a good term if you're going to talk about the church in a sense because it's all the Lord's anyway. And the Lord allows us to be a part of that, of what is His, to be stewards of it, to use it for His purposes. And guess what? We get blessed. Amen. He could have done it without us. But He chooses to do it through us, through His church, that we might receive the blessing. If you get that down, oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. God bless His Word to your heart today. And may we always remember, freely we have received, freely give whatever it is.